Well, hey, everybody. Uh, thanks for joining us today. It's such an amazing time of worship together and uh, just so happy that you could be a part of this with us. Hey, if you're new joining us, my name is Brad and uh, I have the privilege of being the lead pastor of an amazing church here in Beaverton and uh, just so glad that you could join us today. Um, before I dive into the message today, we're in a series called When the World Turns Upside Down and I'm going to get to that in a minute. But um, before we actually do that today, I just want to talk to our church for just a moment. Um, you know, we've been doing this for a while now. Uh, in fact, I went back on my calendar and I think we're at like our 18th or 19th week that we have been doing this online. And uh, it's a few months and uh, it feels like a really long time to me at this point. Um, and, and I think I need, I need you to hear me say this, that I don't enjoy this. Uh, I don't like this. Uh, in fact, I, I say that because over the past couple of months, I've received some emails and kind of got some information from people that somehow I may have given the impression that I'm somehow enjoying this. And, uh, and let me just tell you that uh, very clearly, I am not enjoying this. Uh, I, I've tried to make the best of it. Uh, I've tried to see the good in it and I can see good in it. I can see God working in it. I've tried to embrace the opportunities that it's presented. But, but this, um, this season has been horribly complicated for me, just as it has been for you. And I, and I say that not just as a human, as a human, this is a really complicated season to try to navigate. It really is complicated. But let me just tell you also as a leader, as a pastor, this has been a really complicated time. And so I just want, I want, you, to, I want you to hear me say this. Um, I would love to be in person with you right now. I'd love for this room to be full of people. I'd love for us to be doing four or five services. I would love that. Uh, I would love to be in a world right now where there weren't so many debates and opinions flying all over the place. I'd love to not have to discern between what is fact and fiction. I'd love to not have to try to make decisions leading a church that has thousands and thousands of people as members in a world where we're only allowed to gather 25 at a time. I would love to live in that place. Um, and yet, I have to come to grips with this. This is reality. Uh, this is the reality that we're in right now. And, uh, and I'm just going to just kind of pull the curtain back for a moment, let you know what it's been like uh, behind the scenes here for us at the church. Um, in the early days of this restriction, we did our best to duct tape and hobble things together. We, we had to pivot really quickly. We had to figure out really fast, like, how do we deliver to you what we feel like we're called to deliver? And let me just tell you, uh, the first month or so of this season was really challenging for us uh, on, the, on the emotional, relational level, but on the technical, practical level, we were really scrambling. How do we do what we do in, in these circumstances? And then somewhere kind of in the middle of this, we started to figure out, we started to kind of get this, and, and Israel, you too, you guys were figuring this out. We started to pivot. We started to get kind of creative. We started to think a little bit more uh, about the things we could do. And, and we started creating new options. I said, okay, there's some opportunity in this. And so there was a creative season that was sort of in the middle of this. But then we shift gears again a little while ago, and we realized that with the phasing that the government was presenting to us, that we needed to start figuring out how in the world we would open um, we knew we couldn't just open the doors back up and do what we've always done. We knew somehow we got to figure this out. We have to phase with the phases. And so I just want to tell you that for the last probably month or so, uh, our staff, our teams, we were just, our, our sites were set on um, the doors being opened up and how are we going to do this and keep everybody safe and do what we do. And, and uh, that's what we've been working on. But let me just share this with you. And it's what I've been growing to realize the last few days. Um, we are entering into a season when we are going to have to be increasingly innovative in the days ahead. And I talked with our team this week and said, we need to ramp it up. We're going to have to kind of turn the burner up on the heat of what we're thinking about. We've got to kind of raise the temperature and start getting more intentional about what we can do in the days ahead because we've got to get creative to create more opportunities for us to be the church. 
Uh, I, I want you to behold God in very tangible worship. That's my heart for you. That's why we, we, we do a worship night online on Instagram Live. It's why we take this time together because I think worship is something we're missing. It's something we're longing for. But I want to see us figure out new ways to do that. I want to figure out ways for you to belong in, in community, for you to experience the face-to-face relational dynamic that I think is so essential to being the church. I want to see you grow. I want to see you be and become the person that God's created you to be. And, and I want to see those things happen. I want to see us go beyond the walls, go beyond the, the limits, the borders of our church in our neighborhoods. I want to see you love people and I want to equip you to do that. And so all of those things um, just require us to be increasingly innovative. I don't know how long this thing's going to last. I truly don't. Um, but I do know that it's time for us to be innovative. Um, so for our staff here, that means we're going back to the drawing board. We're, we're asking some questions and saying, okay, what's next? What do we do? How do we, how do we be the church in this? And we're going to think of some new things and some new ways to actually execute on this. And we're going to pray and we're going to seek God's face for this season. And, and in the middle of this, I want to invite you to do a few things. Um, I want to I invite you, would you please um, schedule a, a watch party with some friends? Find a few friends. You know you've been hanging out with them. You know you've been seeing them in other places at parks. Maybe invite them over and experience community. Watch a sermon together. Dialogue about it. Be the church together. Just as many people as you can pack in your living room. I want to see you guys doing that. Meet in backyards when you can. Um, love on your neighbors. There's probably no better way for us to be the church than if all of us just love the people that were in the immediate proximity around us in our neighborhood. So be the church and love on your neighborhood. And then finally, I just want to ask that you'd pray. Pray that the kingdom of God would continue to advance. And I'm just going to share that while we were worshiping a moment ago, literally while we're, while we're worshiping, I just heard the Lord say, I'm working. I'm moving in this time. I'm moving in this season. And so pray that the kingdom of God would be made known to people, that you would see it, experience it during this season. And most of all, Let's stay united during this time. It's one of the most beautiful things, one of the most amazing testimonies of the church is when we are united together. And so I just implore you, would you stay united as a church? Stay together. Now, get off my soapbox for a moment and uh, let's get into the word. And uh, I say that because this right here, the word of God, the Bible, is so essential for us right now. Um, In a world where everyone seems to have opinions and uh, seems to have the pressing need to express those opinions, I think it's really important that we stay grounded and we listen to words that are truth, words we can count on. We have to let one voice, and that is God's voice, be the loudest voice in the room of our lives. And if we listen to all these opinions and all of these different voices in our culture, and we're not elevating the level of importance of this word, this voice, then we're going to miss things in this process. And so I want to just go to the word right now, because this is the one thing during this season we can count on. So with that, I want you to open up to Acts chapter 10. And uh, we're continuing on in our series. And what we're looking at today is really a direct continuation of what we looked at last week. So last week, we saw this radical reconciliation moment that was on the verge of taking place in the life of the Apostle Peter. Um, God is breaking down ethnic and cultural barriers in very powerful ways. And Peter, he is this guy that's obediently leaning into this. He's, he's hearing God and he's seeing what's on the horizon and he's just leaning in to let God move in this, which results in him being invited to the home of someone that he never would have imagined going to. Never in his imagination would he have thought that he would be sitting at a table or walking across the threshold of a house like the one that he's been invited to go to. So we're going to pick up where we left off last week. Last week, he was beginning this journey, and, uh, and, he, and he begins to experience these things. We're going to pick up there, and by the time we're done reading this, what we're going to see in the very end is a kingdom principle. I'm going to keep this really simple today, but there's a kingdom principle exhibited in this text 
that I believe has implications not just on the situations like the ones we're seeing here, but it has implications on the situations that we're in right now. And so that's why I think it's so important for us to lean into this and see what God's doing in the middle of this moment. So Peter has these guys, they come, they find him in this this town, a couple towns away from where he's being invited to. They come and find him. They say, please come see our boss, this, this individual, Cornelius. And we pick up in verse 23, it says, so he invited them to be his guests. And then the next day he rose and went away with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. Now, there are a few things that I wanna point out to you that I love that I wanna highlight in this text. Um, first, I need to reiterate what we talked about last week. We need to be reminded of it, but if you're just tuning into us, I want you to know what's going on here. Peter is making this move towards Cornelius. In fact, he walks an entire day's walk. I mean, this is a, not a short journey to see a man that he doesn't even know, who up until a few hours earlier, his religious background had him believing that this was the last person that he would go visit. He will be this man's guest. And then he gets to his house and Cornelius, this individual, he understands the power differential. He understands that there's a religious power differential. And so he bows down and falls at his feet and starts to worship him. And then almost instinctively, Peter does the unthinkable. Text says this, let me just read it again. Verse 26, it says, but Peter lifted him up, lifted him up, picked him up and said, stand up. I too am a man. Peter lifted this man up, which means he touches him. He touches Cornelius. This doesn't look like much to us. This doesn't look like an important detail. But according to Jewish religious tradition, to which Peter was an adherent, associating with a Gentile in any way, much less touching a Gentile, would render you ritually impure. Gentiles, they eat impure foods. Gentiles, they, they, they come in contact with impure substances. They have, they have practices that are, that are abhorrent. They participate in idolatrous, sinful behaviors. And yet Peter, in this moment, you have to catch this, he touches somebody that his culture said was unclean. He lifts him up and he says, no, 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 I I'm just like you and you are just like me. We are equals. And then he addresses it because there's an elephant in the room, right? And there's an elephant that's been in his heart all the years of his life up until this moment. And so Peter says this in verse 28. He said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone from another nation. He says, I know that's what you're thinking right now, right? But God has shown me that I should not call any person, common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. In other words, he says to them, he goes, I know I'm not supposed to be here, much less touching your friend here, but let me explain to you why. And then he just says these simple words, God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. In other words, Here's what I've been learning lately. Here's what God's been showing me lately. 
Or maybe it's more accurate to say, here's what I learned yesterday. Do you realize this? The day before this moment, he believed these people were untouchable. The day before this moment, he harbored racist attitudes towards these people. And the very next day, he says, you know what? God's been showing me something lately, which explains why I'm here. Lately, as in yesterday, God revealed this, and I immediately responded to what God was revealing to my heart. Now, a few things about this. I want to say three things about this. First, how amazing is this? That, that with a bit of prompting, within 24 hours, Peter is letting God reshape the categories of his life, the preferences that he has about life. Within 24 hours, God interjects, and almost immediately, Peter's saying, no, no, this changes everything. And he begins to move towards this. That's so challenging, so inspiring. And then secondly, notice, notice that, that God talks about calling a person common or unclean. This, this word calling, this this word naming, he's talking about the words that leave our mouths. The words that we use to describe another group of people, they matter. The words we use to talk about the tensions between us and them, they matter. That's what God is saying to him. How you talk matters. The Bible is filled with examples of this. The things that come out of our mouth, the speech that we have is a reflection of what's inside of our hearts. And so he says, literally, God has spoken to me about the things I have spoken about you. I could go on about this. I think in our culture, we could talk a lot about this right now, but, but I won't. I'll just let God's spirit convict you more and, and let those things kind of leak out for you. So how you talk matters. That's what he says. And then third, and, and this is a question, how in the world did Peter go from the vision that he had last week, a sheet that's descending from heaven with a mixture of clean and unclean foods coming down. How did he go from that picture to saying, God has shown me not to call a person common or unclean? How did he see food and then draw the conclusion, oh, God's talking about people? Well, let me just say this. I think this is good for some of us to hear, especially me. Um, it's never about the food. It is always about the people. That's where God's heart lies, is with people. In fact, if you think about this, think about this is what Jesus had shown Peter over and over again previous to this. I mean, how often in the Gospels, when you think back to the ministry of Jesus, how many times did Jesus touch somebody that was ceremonially unclean? How many times was Jesus laying hands on a leper? How many times was Jesus doing things that socially, culturally, religiously were offensive or objectionable? Over and over again, that's what Peter has seen, Right? Jesus regularly violated the accepted norms of inclusion by touching people who were untouchable. You can't get past that in the ministry of Jesus. Not only that, Jesus went further than this. There's, there's this event. Um, there's this one particular moment. It's in Luke chapter, Luke chapter 4 where, where Jesus is teaching and he says something that so many people miss in the ministry, the teaching ministry of Jesus. Um, Jesus is revealing that there's this pattern of God going to people who religious people, who people inside the faith didn't expect to God, for God to go to. People that were discarded, people that were disregarded. They were, they were these individuals that God had in the past gone to. Let me just show this to you. So Jesus is teaching and he says this in verse 24 of Luke 4. He says, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. 
And then verse 25, he, he starts to elaborate on this. He says, but in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon. This is important. This woman in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. Then he goes on, he says, there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And verse 28 says, when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath toward Jesus. Why? Well, because the two people he named were two people who were not Jewish. Jesus was calling out examples in the past when God sent his prophets to people who weren't inside the Jewish faith. Two people that God touched that nobody expected God to touch. So what Jesus was revealing is that there's this pattern of God going outside of the understanding of people who would have called themselves faithful that there are faithful people who will see God move and they will question whether or not that's truly God because they don't think that's the kind of thing God does. That's what Jesus was showing them. And by the way, if you keep reading in Luke chapter four, these people, they drag Jesus outside the city. They try to kill him for this. Which then begs us to ask the question, if Jesus was nearly stoned for this, when he mentioned God's work among people other than the Jews, how much courage did it take Peter, who would witness this visceral response, who would watch these things, who, who he himself held these racist attitudes, how much courage did it take for him to risk what he was risking to go to Cornelius's house? Here's a question that I just found myself wrestling with this week. Could it be that people who have been touched by grace discover a freedom in extending that grace to others? When I've been touched by God's grace, there's a freedom. When I truly begin to understand, oh, that I was the unclean one. Oh, that I was the one that was ceremonial, unworthy. When I discover that and then see what God does, maybe I become a person who freely offers that grace to others. You know, I love this because it takes Peter about one minute. <laughs> He's like, okay, I've heard about this. Okay, I've seen this in Jesus. Okay, now I've received this myself. You've spoken it to me to do it. I'll do it. That's how this thing plays out. And then verse 29 says this. He says, so when I was sent for, I came without objection. I love that. I came without objection. And then he leans in and he asks them to speak. And I think this is so good for us to see. Here's why. Before Peter is going to offer them anything, before Peter is going to speak another word, he makes the decision to listen first. This is the currency of the kingdom of God. This, by the way, is the action that will operationalize this holy joining that is about to take place of the Jews and the Gentiles. God has shown me that I'm supposed to be here. And then he says, but why don't you speak first? Let me hear what's on your heart. Let me hear what's happening in your life. Let me hear your perspective. He didn't walk in and start preaching to them. He invited them to speak, assuming that he had something to hear from them first. One of my really good friends, Gabe, um, Gabe has this practice. He calls it appreciative inquiry. And uh, I think that's a f uh, just a fancy word for really good listening. Um, but he has this practice of when he's going into a new situation or he's meeting new people, he just loves to ask questions and learn about people with no judgment. Just, I want to get information. And so he just listens to other people tell their story. And whenever I witness him doing this, it's such a beautiful, encouraging thing. He gathers information by letting other people talk and creating space for them to tell their stories. It's exactly what's happening here. Peter does the exact same thing. 
And, and I truly believe right now, our world would probably be a lot better place to live in if we would do more listening. Amen? I'm assuming that out there somewhere, you are saying amen to that. So Cornelius speaks, and this is what we read. Verse 30. He says, four days ago, about this time, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once and you've been kind enough to come, kind enough to be a guest in this very uncomfortable situation. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So, so Peter hears this. He hears this story. He hears what was going on. And then he begins to share. He says this in verse 34. Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he's Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he's the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now, what did Peter just do? Peter simply told them, well, this is what I've seen. And this is what I know. And this is what I've experienced. And this is Jesus. This is Jesus. He tells them about Jesus. It's that simple. And, and something happens next that literally tilts history in a completely different direction. It changes history in the world forever. Check this out. Verse 44, it says, while Peter was still saying these things, he's still explaining things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter, they were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them, these people, those people speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to remain for some days. Now, because we're walking through the book of Acts, I need to tell you that this is a massive turning point in the history of the church, in the history of the world. And, and the trajectory of this moment right here is why we are here today. It's why our church exists because of what takes place here. Because right here, the Jesus movement moves from a Jewish reality to a global reality. And the rest of the story is changed because of this moment, because of this guy's living room, because Peter goes to his house and tells those people that he never thought he would ever talk to about Jesus, about Jesus. That's why this happens. In fact, I'm just going to geek out on you just, just for a moment. I like to do this. I get kind of nerdy sometimes with the Bible, but this is so cool. Um, the Holy Spirit falls on this group of people in an instance, right? God's empowering presence is upon them, moving among them. It's evident. The people on the outside, they can see what's happening in this moment. Those that came with Peter, they recognize this. We've seen this before, right? Now, the last time we saw something like this was in Acts chapter 2. On a day 
that we in the church called Pentecost. And this day is almost a mirror image of that day. Look at all the parallels in this. First of all, it's, there's a gathering in a household, in this home, in this kind of private space. There's a gathering of people who knew one another. They loved one another. There was a community that had gathered in this place. And this group of people, they were waiting on God. They were, being, they were being obedient and just seeking God, saying, God, what do you have for us? They're preparing to receive whatever God has. So, so there's two parallels. Then there's a third. There's this sudden, unexpected outpouring of the Holy Spirit that moves among them, just like in Acts chapter 2. Then it causes this astonishment. Those individuals that are now watching this, they're just as astonished as the people in Jerusalem who are watching the disciples receive this. They're just as stunned by this. And then finally, what it reveals is a completely new understanding of how God is going to move in the world. In Acts chapter two, when the outpouring of the Holy Spirit happens, everything changes and people go, what is God doing? Now you've blown our categories. Now the temple has gone from this place to this place, to our bodies. And in this moment, God says, and it's not just certain bodies, it's all bodies. It's everyone that gets to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. Some people um, might refer to what happens in verse 44 of Acts chapter 10 as a second Pentecost. But um, I think a better way for us to think about this is that this is the second half of the first Pentecost. Acts 10 is actually completing Acts chapter 2. Now God's Spirit dwells among all humanity. And then I think one of the most beautiful aspects of this whole thing is what happens after the baptism that I just read about. You know, there's, there's this moment where they go to find water somewhere. You know, it's Peter says, okay, you guys have received the Spirit. I guess we can probably baptize you too. And so they go to find water. And you just have to imagine, I mean, Luke kind of abbreviates this, but... That means they leave the house and and this pack of people, they go wander through the city streets and they probably go to some known body of water and and they baptize these individuals in the name of Jesus. And there's this sort of public thing that would be taking place. But I think one of the most beautiful things is what happens next because then it says they invited Peter and his companions to stay for several days, which means they're eating They're eating all these foods and they're talking. Maybe they're playing games at the dinner table after dinner. Uh, They're they're in peace. They're they're living. They're doing life together. Jews and Gentiles, quite possibly for the first time we ever know of, are doing life together. People that never imagined their lives would cross paths in this sort of way are suddenly brought together by the work of the Holy Spirit and the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what's taking place here. By the way, this is only the beginning of what God's going to do through this. So, so there's so much going on here, and, and I, I, could, I could talk about so many things, but I want to close with this. I want to close with the one thing that, that actually might hit home with us right now. Um, the one thing that I think in times like the ones we're living in, that when I look at this, that there's a kingdom principle that if we're going to walk away with one thing, one specific idea, I want it to be this one. This beautiful picture that we're closing with, this reconciliation of Jews and Gentiles, this creation of a new humanity, these people living at peace that once were at odds, this this acceptance and love and forgiveness, all these things that are taking place, all of it is made possible. It's brought to you by, if you will, one very normal, very average individual who was willing to allow God to adjust his categories. And and the principle that we see revealed in this is this, that there is a connection between your willingness and God's faithfulness. There's a connection between your willingness and God's faithfulness. 
And, and let me just point something out. I, I want to be really clear about this because in our consumer-driven culture, we have to clarify this. I am not saying that if you're willing and you lean into whatever it is that God is inviting you to lean into, that he is going to be faithful to bless you. That's not what I'm saying. This isn't some sort of consumer-driven thing that profits you. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not this kind of twist. What I'm saying is far bigger than that and far more meaningful than that. What I'm saying is this, your willingness to let God lead you, to let God challenge you, to let God shift your categories is connected to God's faithfulness in showing up in other people's lives. Your willingness to do something like this impacts the lives of other people. This, this move of God that we're reading about, it shifts history. Peter packing his bag and being willing to go be a guest and walk a day's walk to another city to visit somebody he never knew. It changed history. Now, listen, I am not saying that God wouldn't have done this without Peter. And I'm not saying that he's not going to do it without you. But if you have a choice of who you get to be in the world, somebody who is willing and God uses to shift someone's trajectory forever or not, which will you choose? Don't you want to be the one that God uses? Don't you want to be the kind of person that says, I don't know, I was just willing to let God shift some things around and I didn't know what it was going to do. I just leaned into what God was leading me towards. As I think about this story and for the past couple of weeks thinking about what's happening in this text, there's one little moment in history that keeps coming back to mind. I keep being reminded of it. It's a it's a true story. It's events out of not too far distant history that um, occurred in Berlin in about 1989. 1989 in Berlin is when there were two Berlins. There was East Berlin and there was West Berlin. And, uh, and each of these Berlins represented two radically different ideologies or worldviews about how human beings should live on this planet. There was uh, two very different viewpoints, East and West. But in 1989, um, a very unexpected character shows up in Berlin and does a, a really... Um, interesting concert, and his name is David Hasselhoff. Now, some of you guys remember Knight Rider. Some of you guys, uh, maybe Baywatch, shouldn't have watched too much of that, but you, you know probably who he is. And during this season, he had a music career. And, uh, and he was at this concert of Germans seeking the reunification of Berlin, of the reunification of Germany. And, and it's an, an amazing turning point in history. And, and there's this amazing thing that seems to happen in the city of Berlin during this time. But on the other side, on the other side of the wall, there's this KGB operative who believed that the views of the West were incredibly dangerous for humanity. He saw it as reckless. He saw it as, as irresponsible. And he believed that if the Western ideals were lived out, it would lead to the demise of humanity. So on November 9th, uh, as the wall between East and West Berlin is beginning to crumble, as, as the, the, the crowds are rioting, as people are beginning to tear the bricks out of the wall, he begins to warn protesters that there will be a fight. He actually says that he and his men are armed and, and that they will take any protester down if they come at them. And he expected that with a phone call, there would be tanks that would be sent in to protect him, to protect the interests of communism, just like they had in Hungary in the 50s, just like they had in Prague in the 60s. He's expecting the same thing of the Russian government in the 1980s. But there's this moment, very poignant moment, where the tank commander replies to this KGB agent and says, we can only move if Moscow gives the orders. And then he hears him say this, Moscow has gone silent. This KGB agent was abandoned by the country he served. 
and traumatized by these events, he vowed to do something about this. He vowed to fight for the cause he believed in. That KGB agent's name is Vladimir Putin. Vladimir Putin has spent his life fighting over a wall that was torn down over 30 years ago. And when I see the walls crumbling between Jews and Gentiles in the book of Acts, when I hear God calling people to deal with racial reconciliation in our culture today, this story comes to mind. And we have to ask the question, God, are we the kind of people that are going to defend walls that are now obsolete and you've proven to be irrelevant in our culture? I don't, know, I don't know where God is challenging you right now. I know that he's probably challenging you. I know there's probably walls that are, that are crumbling around you. I know there's probably expectations of how life is supposed to work, how culture is supposed to be, how things are supposed to go for you. There, he's probably challenging you. But the invitation of God is in the middle of this. Will you lay down your life? Will you accept this invitation to see God use you in ways that you never imagined were possible. Are you willing? Are you willing? I just want you to imagine. Imagine what would happen if in our time, a community of people collectively decided to let God stretch them and get them out of their corners of comfort. Imagine what God could do in our world. Let me just say this about you. And I mean this, I'm saying this to you, right where you're watching this right now. I believe this about you. I believe this about you, no matter what you believe about yourself, no matter what you think about your past or what you have written for your future. I believe that God can use your life to change another person's life. I believe that God can leverage your life to impact and influence another person's story forever. I believe your life is a beautiful thing that is made even more beautiful when you say, God, I'm willing to walk a day's walk to talk to whoever you want me to talk to because I am laying my life down for you. So right now I'm gonna invite the worship team to, to prepare to close us. And, and this, is, this is the right way to close. If we put our attention on ourselves, We'll probably never lay our lives down for God. But when we are reminded of who God is, when we come to him in worship and we, we see his goodness and his grace and his love, there is something compelling that happens. And we begin to say, God, I'm willing to do whatever you call me to do. So right now in this time, I just want you to reflect. I want you to pray. I want you to allow the word of God that we've just read just simply to sink into your heart and invite God's spirit to move where he wants to move. Let's worship and then in just a moment, I'll come back and I'll close us with a benediction. Through the shadows of 
Jesus Christ, my living hope. Oh. The cross has spoken, I am forgiven. The King of Kings calls me. forever Jesus Christ my living Death has lost its victory. Jesus truly has his claim on us. And so may you be men and women who allow God to adjust your categories. May you be willing to lean towards others. May you be the kind of person who God sees your willingness and is faithful to others because of your ability to let God move. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We'll see you guys next week. Have an amazing week. Until then, we love you guys.